excited to be here again. Junior Church, four years old through fourth grade. If you want to go ahead and, and um, go on up, they'll meet you up front. Four years through fourth grade, Junior Church, you are dismissed. I think they were waiting for the magic word dismissed. Usually they're just excited to run. If you guys don't want to go, you can sit here and listen to me talk. No? Oh, there is no junior church. That's why they're all... You need a kid's bulletin today. That's what it is. When Dustin's gone, everything falls apart. Okay. So... (laughs) Blaine, you're not allowed to talk during my sermon. I love you, Blake. There's a story of a woman who um, went to the police station with her best friend to report that her husband was missing. The police officer asked for a description, and the wife said, she sat there for a moment thinking, and she said, well, he's 45 years old, six foot three, blue eyes, blonde hair, athletic build, soft-spoken, and is very good to my children. Her friend turned and said, your husband doesn't fit that description. He's five foot three, chubby, bald, big mouth, and mean. And the wife said, well, yeah, but who wants him back? Was that better? Okay. In our series in this whole year, we're looking at going through the life of David on our pursuit to pursue a a heart after God, the quest for a godly heart. And we're going to jump to chapters 27, 29, and 30. We're going to, we'll come back to 28 a little bit later. But in these chapters, we're going to notice there's a very key person missing in these chapters, in the life of David. And this very important person, this key person that is missing in, in the life of David is God. Here we've seen David grow and take challenges in once again. God is going to be missing from this entire episode. But how can that be, right? He's a man after God's own heart, and yet God is missing. But when you think about it, God is often the missing person in a lot of our own lives. For some, God is missing because they've forgotten him. For others, God is missing because, well, God has forgotten them, or at least they've moved away from God. That's what I mean by that. Like the instance of King Saul, he left God, and so God let him go, and and, um, separation there. Now, if we're all honest, there are times when many times that people don't mind God not being with them all the time. Because then we can go and do whatever we want to do without God's restrictions, the guilt, or the shame that comes along with that. For others, God's absence eventually brings about a lonely, aching, and an emptiness. So let's turn and see, starting in 1 Samuel 27, see what happens to David here. David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting for me in Israelite territory, and I will finally be safe. Now, what's David going through? Remember, Saul is on this pursuit to kill David. And David's not done anything to cause Saul to do this, so it's all unjust. And he keeps saving Saul. He, saved, he spared him in the cave. 
He was about, David was then going to go kill Nabal, the foolish one, when Abigail came and, and spoke prophetic words about how David is going to be king, and he needs to be reminded of that. And David said, thank you for not, or for speaking to me, so I did not commit murder. In the next chapter, David spares Saul once again. And Saul even says, you have done this by God's hand. Um, David changes his gaze here, starting in verse 1. He changes it away from God and focuses it on himself. Right here we see David turns to a humanistic viewpoint. A humanistic viewpoint. Notice what it says, David kept thinking to himself. What this really means is David, David kept thinking over and over and over. He kept mulling it over, this thought that Saul is going to get me. Saul is going to win. David set his mind on it and kept dwelling and going over and over and over. And a humanistic viewpoint is a horizontal viewpoint rather than vertical Worldly, horizontal, full of power, thoughts of our minds, our talents, our safety. Humanistic viewpoints only looks here, in the temporary or in the earthly. What God wants us to do is take it away from horizontal and go vertical and look up. Much like David did when facing Goliath. In that instance, everybody in that army had a humanistic viewpoint. Goliath is way too big. He's way too powerful. We cannot win. And David, this young boy, walks out there and says, he's a puny. He's the runt of the litter compared to my God. And he had a vertical viewpoint. But now David has turned to a humanistic one. How many times do we do that? We get a diagnosis. We go vertical. Or horizontal. We get a, a fight with the family, and we go horizontal. We get a bad report at, at work or school, and we go horizontal. Here in chapter 27, David is filling his mind with horizontal thoughts. And because of that, he comes to a wrong conclusion. It is so important that when we talk to ourselves, we're speaking truths. Uh, Dustin has come into my office many times, and he goes, I keep hearing you talking. Who are you talking to? And I've told him, I said, I'm talking to myself. I have to have an intelligent conversation once in a while in the office. Those are on the days Casey's not there. <laughs> Just... When we're talking to ourselves, we need to be making sure we're telling ourselves truths and not mulling over and over horizontal thinking. It is so important we tell ourselves truth. Tragically, in this section, we don't find David praying even once. David is coming off of this emotional high, and in some respects, he's sitting there, I have saved Saul. I have been confirmed as I'm going to be king. He could have killed Saul. He could have killed Nabal. But God has kept him from it. And here he is, hyper and elite almost. I have done it. God has saved me. And then he turns and says, but Saul's going to win. 
This is where we see not only humanistic viewpoint, David also has pessimistic reasoning. Look what he says. One of these days, Saul is going to get me. David is saying, Saul is going to win. Saul is going to kill me. And that he would not be ever safe. That means there's a limit to God's providence and power and protection. That's what David's saying here. Eventually, Saul's going to overpower what God has planned for me. David should have known better. Samuel has anointed him with the oil, assuring him, one day you will be king. God has proven this. He has spoken this. Abigail said that he was going to be king. God spoke many times through Jonathan about it. Even King Saul said, look what it says in verse 20 of chapter 24. And Saul said this, and now I realize you are surely going to be king. And the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. David has been reassured many times, you will be king. But in this moment of horizontal thinking, he turns very pessimistic. And he forgets that God's protection is over him. He starts to convince himself, I'm going to perish. There's no way I can be king. Whenever we take our eyes off God, the vertical, and start looking at the horizontal, we start looking at ourselves and our circumstances, we become so pessimistic. I mean, really, think about it. There are times, even the most positive person in this room, you can become pessimistic. What is it that causes you to be negative? Is it when somebody says that certain phrase? Or things just ultimately keep spiraling down and down and you finally give up. What is it that changes your viewpoint to start seeing only the negative? That's when we're like David. And the final thing we're going to see David that took him in the wrong direction was similar to the first. He had humanistic viewpoint, pessimistic reasoning, and David rationalized and came to the wrong conclusion. David said here, the best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. The Philistines are the arch enemy. They're the ones who hate Israel. So David, in his mind, in his pessimistic, humanistic reasoning, he's saying, the safest place to be is not with God and his people, but with the enemy of God. He, he turns totally wrong. If I'm going to die, he thinks, I, I, I better get as far away from Saul's army. I have to escape, and the best thing to do is go to the heathen, perverted Philistines. Where in this section did David ever say, you know, this is what I keep thinking, but God, would you open a door? God, would you show me the way? God, reveal yourself. God, reassure me of your promises. No, instead, instead of remembering God's preserving his life to this point, David doesn't seek guidance. He trusts himself. This is the best thing I can come up with. So what's he do? Start in verse 2. David took his 600 men and went over to join Achish, son of Moak, the king of Gath. David and his men and their family settled there with Achish at Gath. David brought his two wives along with them. Ahinoam 
from Jezreel and Abigail, Nabal's wife from Carmel. Word soon reached Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he stopped hunting for him. One day David said to Achish, the king of the Philistines here, If it's all right with you, would we, we would rather live in one of the country towns instead of here in the royal city. So Achish gave him the town of Ziklag, which belonged to the king of Judah in this day. And they lived there among the Philistines for a year and four months. Right here, David is totally not David. We can see David abandon his confidence in God, his confidence in Yahweh, and then deliberately in direct disobedience to the ancient commands of God, he sought asylum with Achish. That means literally he joined forces with the Philistines. David has left Israel and he is enlisted into the army of the enemy. This, to get it into proper perspective, how many of you remember 9-11? That was life-changing for us, right? That just shook and shattered our whole American culture. How would you feel if somebody who you knew was a great military mind, who was really one of the greats here, they jumped up, moved to Iraq or Iran, and enlisted in the army that hated America? That's what David did. That's how wrong he is being. David didn't just compromise himself, though. He compromised his 600 men, his own family, as well as the family of those 600 men. When we choose a course that is not God's plan, you and I need to understand, when we start going horizontal, when we start going pessimistic, when we start rationalizing based on our viewpoints, we don't just affect us. It affects those who depend on us, who trust on us, those who look up to us and believe in us. That's why we must weigh our steps carefully and put them before God and ask Him to direct our steps, not us. David's consequences, first, are a false sense of security. False sense of security. Saul did stop pursuing him, and that was a welcome relief, but that didn't make him secure. The only thing that could make David secure, or for us at that matter, is to be in the safety of God Himself. Second consequence was of his poor choice was submission to the enemy. David actually calls him in the Hebrew here a servant of Achish. He is no longer calling himself a servant of God. He is now the servant of Achish. Because of his poor choices, David takes sides with the enemy. And thirdly, the, there was a lengthy period of compromise. Compromise is when you, you draw that line in the sand and I'm not going to cross it. Well, what if I move that line just to here? And, and it's not that bad. And, and then we, we get a little comfortable and things may change. So we move the line. It's not that bad. Whenever you start saying it's not that bad, what's the last word in there? Bad. And bad is always bad. No matter what Michael Jackson's saying. Okay? It's not that evil. It's not that wicked. Well, yes, it is. In our human, pessimistic, horizontal reasoning, it isn't. But in 
vertical, God's purity thinking, where we should be. David moves in with the enemy and starts working not just for them, but with them. We might say, oh, it won't hurt a day or two here, and then I'll get back on the right path. But there's an old saying, and we need to memorize this. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Now, really think about it. It's not that bad, but it's going to take you further than you want to go. It's going to cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And it will keep you there longer than you intended to stay. David moves away from God. He wanders into Gath and ends up staying there for 16 months. This man, who is a man after God's own heart, has abandoned God, not for a day, not for a week, but for a, for a 16 full months. That means 16 months without really praying. 16 months without going into a worship service to God. 16 months without seeking and reading Scripture. 16 months of falling and drifting further and further out into the vast chasms of sinful living. These poor choices of David lead to some very dark and difficult days. Duplicity begins to mark David's steps. Duplicity, which is really, I'm going to just be blunt here, is running rampant in the churches today. Duplicity that says on Sunday morning I praise God, but on Monday I can do anything I want. Duplicity which says I'll uphold God's mighty right word except when it affects me here. Duplicity causes David to begin to act out in cruel and savage fashion. Look what happens to David, the mighty warrior, right? He, he's, he's awesome. He's one of God's superheroes. Look what it says, verse 8 and 9. David and his men spent their time raiding the Geshurites and the Gizurites and the Amalekites. People had lived near Shur towards the land of Egypt since ancient times. David did not leave one person alive in the village he attacked. He took the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, camels, clothing before returning to his home to see King Achish. These people that he's going and raiding were enemies of Israel, but they were not enemies of the Philistines. And David took his advantage. Hey, I'm in the Philistine area. They're never going to see attack coming from their protector. So he is basically a hometown terrorist. To it, and he takes all the wealth and accumulates it, gives it to himself. By the end of these 16 months in Ziklag, David has become wealthy, rich baron, rich from the plunder seized from his victims. And it said he left no victim alive to report the truth. What, what does that mean? Who is living in these villages? He's not attacking barracks. He's not attacking the soldiers. He's attacking and annihilating towns. Not only did the desert stand, sands lay stained red with human blood, so were David's hands because of his sin. In fact, this is why at the end of David's life, David wanted to build the temple. 
He wanted to build the temple to God and say, I've done this because God is worth it. And God says, no, your hands are stained with innocence. You have killed many innocent. And he was prevented from building the temple. One final side we see as David continues down this road of poor choices is his dishonesty. David starts lying. Look out at um, what he says, uh, verse 10. King Achish asked, where did you make your raid today? And David replied, against the south of Judah, the Jeremiahites and the Kenites. David, when he is asked by the king of the Philistines, where did you fight today? He says, I was fighting and killing Israelites. He's lying. When he'd been fighting the people under Philistine. Look what it says, verse 11. No one was left alive to come to Gath and tell where they had been really, where they really had been. This happened again and again, and the Hebrew here means multiple times, okay? Not just one or, once or twice. While he was living among the Philistines. Achish believed David and thought to himself, by now the people of Israel must hate him bitterly. Now he'll have to stay here and serve me forever. Achish believed that David had turned a traitor, a terrorist to his own people. He even counted on David to go with him into battle. That's how far David has turned. We, we don't see David this way. He's the hero. He's the slayer of Goliath. He is the king who loves God. Chapter 28. About that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, you and your men will be expected to join me in battle. David says, no, I can't fight my own people. I can't do That's not what he says, is it? Very well. Now you'll see for yourself what we can do. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Have you ever, how many of you have heard this story of David's life? Where he has sunk so low, he's ready to fight against his people. Against God's people. The people he is told that he's going to be king over. Not only that, now he's going to become the private bodyguard of the evil king. According to the book of Romans, the wages of sin is what? Death. Which means death. But there's nothing worse than that. It's the end. David has become a slave, shackled to his own submission to evil. How in the world is David going to get out of this one and back on track? There's no way he can personally choose this. The good news is that even though he abandoned God, God did not forsake his promises or his plan for David. God knows what is going on. In spite of the distance that David has put between himself and God, God finds a way out. Look what happens in 29. The entire Philistine army now um, mobilized at Aphek. And the Israelites camped out at the spring of Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. But the Philistine commanders demanded, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told him, this is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years, and I've never found a single fault with him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into battle with us, for if he turns against us in battle and becomes our adversary. 
Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David whom the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, and David is ten thousands. See, even the other Philistine generals are like, this is going to be a perfect opportunity for David to turn on us. We can't have that. So Achish finally summoned David and said, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me into battle, for I have never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today, but the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them. Go back quietly. Achish leaders had every reason to challenge Achish and question David. They were afraid. David's going to be the Trojan horse. That's what they're thinking. He's going to come in, and it's going to turn into the Trojan horse thing. Majority opinion prevails, and Achish sends him away. 1 Samuel 29, verse 8. What have I done to deserve this treatment, David said. Okay, we are seeing a deep, dark spiral of David. What have I ever... What have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my Lord and King? Notice who he called my Lord, my King in this section. He has fallen so far in the sinful lifestyle. He calls himself the servant here. He calls King Achish his master. David is so far deep in his sinful lifestyle that he finds himself in a bit of fog. He's a displaced person. At the moment, he is neither Philistine nor Israelite. He isn't welcome in either camp. David is kind of like the sinful Christian who doesn't feel comfortable in the things of God, but has lost interest in the path of sin. He's stuck in the middle. And David still hasn't hit rock bottom. I've seen many people go through the fog of their sinful lifestyle. The worst one I can ever see is mine. There was a time that I was lost in the fog of my disillusionment. How I knew what God really wanted and I wanted to hold on to this and yet they cannot come together. And so I was wandering around in that fog and yet it wasn't rock bottom. David, let's see how he hits rock bottom here. Chapter 30, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed the Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everything else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives... Um, Anayom from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger. Listen to this. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began talking of stoning him. David, the leader of this mighty, valiant men, the king or the king to be, the, the slayer of the giants, is now about to be stoned to death. By his own men. All because David led them in horizontal thinking with pessimistic reasoning, and he concluded the wrong thing. 
Imagine, they, David and his men come over the hill and they see the city. They've called their home for the last year and almost a half, and it's burned to the ground. All their stuff is gone. All the people are gone. Worse than the physical destruction was the personal cost. Their wives, their children, and you need to understand, when you took children and wives away, you didn't just put them in the kitchen. They did not treat them nicely. This group of big, strong warriors wept until they had no more tears. The pain is so great that they turned to the one who has led them. And they talk about killing him. David has finally arrived at the bottom. He has finally hit the bottom ladder of despair. There are only two choices when a person finally reaches that spot. When you are in that fog and when you are living in that sinful lifestyle and you finally hit rock bottom, there's only two choices. You either jump off into oblivion or you turn to the Creator. That's it. Those are the two choices. And I can tell you, when I was in the death of it, when I finally hit rock bottom, I didn't want to turn to the Creator. Because I knew what I'd done. And I could talk to you personally about what it was that I started looking at to jump into the oblivion. It's how bad and horrible that death is. That's where David is right now. But that's not all of verse 6. That's not all of verse 6. His men, let's start. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it, and David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Finally, David turns to God. It has been over a year and a half living in exile, living in constant, deepening, darkening sin. But David finally turns to God. For the first time in 16 months, David says, God, help me. Oh, God, please help me. What's it take for you to say that? You know what it took David to do is actually say, for the last 16 months, I've been leaving you out, God. And it's all wrong. I need you. It's humbling to accept that, to turn and say, God, I need your answer. Verse 18 and 19, David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. I wish this were the case for all of us. The consequences of David's sin caused misery. Thankfully for David, he was able to recover these things. He made some bad choices which led to very difficult days in the wilderness of sin. Yet God was not far from him. 
whenever we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, deep in the wilderness of sin, when we're choosing to live away from God, do you know what you have to do? David had to do it. We all need to do it. You just need to turn. Turn and look around and look back up. Quit looking horizontal and start looking vertical back to God. All we have to do is come home to Him. God our Father is waiting at the door ready to forgive. If you don't believe me, then you haven't read the New Testament. To get himself straightened out, to be strengthened by the Lord, David had to turn back to God. How many of you are exhausted from the junk of this world? How many of you are so tired of all that we're going through? If we start listing things just from March 2020 to today, aren't you just tired of it? Killer bees to pandemics to World War Threes. Tired of it. And could it be because God's people are doing this? Instead of this. This world will never come to God. This world is broken. This world is sinful. But His people need to turn back and find strength in God. Not in the world. Not in politics. Not in finances. Not in power. Find strength in God like David did. There are some of you here today who have run from God. There are some in this room right now, you have trusted your own thinking. You are living in sin away from God. Preacher's getting a little blunt. But you have purposely chosen things. It could be sex outside of marriage. It could be holding on to hate or bitterness towards someone. It could be that you are not forgiving someone else. You are sinning by the anger that you unleash to others. Some of you are sinning by holding on to fears and doubts. And whenever we do that, we are like David, and we are leaving God's presence and going into the wilderness of sin. We leave behind all that God has called us to. When we do that, we need to do what verse the end of verse 6 says. David finally turned to God. He turned. That meant not just physically, but his mental. He quit thinking over and over, i got to do this, and he turned mentally to God. He found strength in God, and then this is the key, he obeyed the word of the Lord. This is the key. you got to turn to God and then obey what he tells you. And if God says, I need you to quit doing something, well, I went to church today, though. No, we got to obey that is what David had to do here. That's what you and I had to do. That's what I had to do in the depth when I hit the bottom. And I can tell you that moment, I did weep till there was no more tears. I was so, so far from God and I was tired of it. And I turned around and I told him, I'm sorry. There's no way he'd accept me back. I knew it. In my head, I'd reasoned it. I'd pessimistic. Um, horizontal viewpoint. And I turned and I was washed over by this grace and this forgiveness. 
this depth of love that I cannot understand. Many of you know that uh, we have a family member who's not part of our family right now. This person has chosen to leave us and chosen a sinful lifestyle. They have purposely forsaken God and us. And I can tell you right now, all that person would have to do is say, I'm home. And I'd be there. My wife would beat me there. My boys would be right behind me. And if a sinful person can do that, how much more is God saying, just turn? And He will come to you. Throughout this year, so far, we've been reading a lot of David's life, but we've been incorporating a lot of the book of Psalms. And David has written a lot of the Psalms. I want to read Psalm 25. Now, David did not write this psalm during this time because, uh, well, David didn't write any psalms during this 16 months. It's hard to write a worship song when you are not following God. But I want to read this to you, Psalm 25. And as I read this, I want you to kind of hear it from your own heart of knowing that you are in the depths of that you could be in the depths if you are right now, how these scriptures can change your life. Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive Others, like David did, deceiving. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I'll put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassions and your unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and a faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his commands. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. If you're in the depths, if you have wandered and taken off into the wilderness of sin, I want you to know something. Psalm 25 is for you. That God is laying it out through the pen of David who knows what it's like to live, live horizontally. David who knows what it means to live in deception to other people. David, who knows what it means to get rid of God from his life. And yet, David, who knows what it means to repent, to turn back, and say, God, help me. God, help me. 
what better prescription do we need than God's Word? There are some in this room today who need to say, I need God's help in this. I need God's help in this that I'm living through, that I've chosen in this wilderness of sin. I need God. The prodigal son finally turned and said, I need that. I need that. And maybe today you need I or you need to say, I need Father God today. Will you do that? Let's stand. I'm going to go to a word of prayer. And if you need to make a decision, will you meet me in the back room where we can go to God together? Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to be victorious on our own, that we don't have to have it all done in our own understandings. God, we thank you that in our failures, in our inadequacies, your son Jesus shines through and shows us the path. God, forgive us when we have become the traitor and the terrorist of the faith. Father, God, forgive us for not following and obeying you when we need to. Lord, as we come back to worship, Lord, as we come back to lift up our voice, we ask that you would help us to not just sing them, but to proclaim them, the victory and the triumph of your Son. And in Jesus, we sing and we pray. Amen.